Hello and welcome to the Friday, November 20th, 2020 edition of On Iowa Politics. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And with me today are Brett Hayworth of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Brett. Good morning. Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspapers State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Uh oh, Aaron. Jinxed it. Jinxed no, it, I. That's all me. I'm the idiot. I had myself muted for. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll pick it up in three, two, one. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. Great to be here. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. It feels just like Thanksgiving. We have the whole family here. Virtually, at least. And we're all about to start arguing with each other. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up this morning, still, still counting two and a half weeks after the election, and they're still counting ballots in Iowa's second district house, second house district. Marionette Miller-Meeks won the race on election night. Then some more ballots were found, and Democrat Rita Hart was ahead. And then some more ballots were found, and Miller-Meeks was back in front. Tom, um, what's changed since we last talked? Yeah, um, well, unfortunately, not a lot has changed. Uh, the um, unofficial results um, still show uh, Marionette Miller-Meeks with a razor-thin 47-vote uh, lead over Rita Hart. Um, you know, we're early in the recount process. Um, you know, early on, there were some reports out of Scott and Johnson counties that each side had maybe picked up a few votes. Uh, I think Miller-Meeks may have picked up four or five votes and and heart one or two after the recount boards um, looked at ballots with stray marks where the machine read a a hesitation mark, a a dot or a stray mark placed on the voting oval for one candidate, but they voted for another. um, And the machine read that as an overvote in the race, but the recount board determined that the voters intent was clear that they voted for one candidate over the other, or they may have changed their minds and made a mistake on their ballot and crossed out a vote for one candidate and filled in uh, the, the oval for the other. But again, the machine counted that as an overvote. Um, so, um, you know, until they finish uh, recounting all of the absentee ballots, um, uh, primarily in Scott and Johnson counties, the two largest counties in the district, they really won't know whether the outcome of the race is, is, is going to change. So there's been a lot of news about recounts um, in the wake of the presidential election. Uh, is it the same atmosphere uh, at these recounts, uh, Tom? Or I mean, is it is it pretty exciting, or is it more like watching paint dry? Uh, it is not exciting whatsoever. Uh, yeah, it's, it's absolutely like watching paint dry or grass grow or, or ice melt. Um, it's it's so far it's been a painstakingly slow process, um, at least from what I've observed in Scott County. Um, where there's some 90,000 ballots to, to recount. You know, the, the recount boards are being 
meticulous and there's been some confusion um, about the process that's slowed it down. Um, the Iowa Secretary of State's office yesterday um, said that the 40, 47 vote difference in this race out of some 394,000 votes cast uh, is unprecedented and with 24 counties in the district having to conduct recounts, it's uh, a very laborious and, and time consuming process. A lot of times recounts end up in court. Uh, is anybody talking about that? Anybody uh, putting Rudy Giuliani on speed dial? Um, <laughs> not uh, not that, that I've heard. I've not heard any whispers about challenging uh, the results in court. And um, the campaigns won't comment, which is, you know, to be expected because we're, we're still early on in the recount process and still don't know what the outcome is may be of that process. Um, I guess I will say this, though, anytime you have lawyers in the room observing or participating in the recount process, I guess there's always that possibility for legal challenges. But at this point, uh, knock on wood, I'm, I'm not hearing that. Okay. Well, this week, uh, I was senior senator, Republican Chuck Grassley announced via Twitter, of course, that he was quarantined at home because he's been exposed to someone who has tested positive for COVID-19. And then the next day he said he had tested positive. Uh, according to his tweets, Grassley is feeling well and quarantining at his New Hartford farm. Amy, um, when I reported on Congresswoman-elect Amy or Ashley Hinson um, quarantining at home, someone on social media corrected me saying that she's isolating. According to this person, you quarantine after being exposed, but isolate after being tested positive. Is there a difference here? Is there a difference in quarantining and isolating? <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. You, you've nailed it. Um, isolation is those testing positive, or if you haven't yet tested positive, but you're displaying a lot of the symptoms of COVID-19, so like respiratory symptoms or fatigue, things like that, then um, then you're in that isolation category, which, which basically is the same thing as quarantine because you're you're kind of doing the same things you're not being around people but isolation means there's a very good chance that you have it and quarantine means you could have it or you could eventually come down with it but you haven't yet um displayed any symptoms and you haven't tested positive so since grassley's tested positive you know since hinson tested positive then um technically they would be under the isolation protocol but you're right it's only sort of a difference in semantics and a difference in either you definitely or probably have it or you might get it. So I, I guess the, the big news out of this for Grassley was that he his record voting streak was broken this week because yes. he went to Washington to, to vote. Um, and I guess he has years. to, yeah, yeah, which is pretty incredible in itself. It is. Um, and so... He has to isolate for 14 days and then he can go back to work, I guess, after Thanksgiving, go back to Washington after Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, so. I'm not sure about his schedule, but yeah, I think if he's if he's feeling good still and, and nothing ends up happening, I don't I don't think he's necessarily out of the woods yet. He said he just tested positive two days ago. Um, sometimes symptoms don't kick in for a few days. Um, but as of yesterday, he tweeted that he's symptom free and he continues to feel good. And he's been getting a lot of, um, you know, encouragement for So it's very possible that um, he will be one of the people that does not come down with symptoms. You know, he's of the age where if he does, it could be a very bad outcome. So you got to hope that he just doesn't. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, you also have to wonder, you know, uh, how this affects his um, 
decision on whether to run again, if he thinks he can stick around for another 27 or 28 years and keep that vote, you know, break his own record uh, for consecutive votes. <laughs> right. It's yeah. only his own record right now, right? Yeah. You know, it might be a good time if he's seeing what's happening in Iowa. If he's seeing sort of, you know, Joni Ernst come away with a victory, um, you know, two or three out of four um, House districts come away Republican, he might see this as the moment when it's okay to actually step away. Uh, you know, unlike when Harkin stepped away, you know, maybe it's it's a good time. He can, if he can get the right person in that seat, maybe he can trust that it's going to stand in Republican hands. Yeah, and I, I've heard people um, sort of theorizing that he will run for re-election and then retire um, and the governor can appoint his successor ah. who would then stand election in two years, you know, sort of this, you sure. know, all sorts of. I, I always forget about that contingency. Yes. Yeah, yes. But yeah. have, is that available to him? So I, I'm sure there are a number of Democrats out there, you know, figuring, you know, looking at all the, the conspiracy uh, theory approaches to how Republicans are going to hold that seat. Uh, so. Meanwhile, um, Governor Kim Reynolds has issued a mask mandate, which uh, we might call mask mandate light. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Aaron, which is longer, the, the mandate or the list of exceptions? <laughs> It's, it's, it's close. It's close. There is, uh, I'm looking at the, um, the governor's proclamation right now and the, uh, exceptions are listed alphabetically and they go all the way to K. Uh, so that, that, that tells you right there how many exceptions, um, are, are in there. Um, and it starts with, and this isn't even considered an exception. Um, one, one part of it that uh, some folks have been critical about is that um, you have to, you don't have to be required to have your mask on in public, um, even when you're around people until you've been around them for 15 minutes or longer. So if you run into the grocery store or gas station or whatever, and you're only there 10 minutes or so, technically you don't have to wear a mask. <clears throat> that's, that's drawn a lot of criticism as part of this, um, why it's kind of been, called a, a, a mandate with air quotes around it. Um, so it, it is more than, than what we've had. You know, we didn't have anything. Um, and and mm -hmm. the governor has been resistant to these throughout the pandemic. Uh, she says that they're just not enforceable, points to other states that have them, um, and that they haven't seemed to have done much to slow the spread there. Um, she finally, with the numbers just going nuts right now, um, finally did at least put this much in place, but yeah, um, there's um, more than a few uh, exceptions and loopholes to this thing. So if I understand the rules correctly, Amy, when I leave the safe confines of my home, assuming my wife is not COVID positive, uh, I need to carry a watch, a tape measure, and a stopwatch, right? <laughs> Just wear a mask. You know, it's it's something that we've been told really for a lot of months now. Like um, in the very beginning, of course, they were like, you know, maybe a cloth mask doesn't do enough. But that was really quickly overturned by everybody from federal to state to local health officials. So it's really just become a politicized thing. Um, does the mandate even sway people to wear a mask if there's no enforcement, you know, is the big question. Um, 
I will say it could be a lot worse. If you've noticed um, South Dakota's governor <laughs> talking about masks, she won't even recommend them. And that's something that we've at least been lucky that Reynolds has been doing. Um, you know, she's she's very heavy on the personal responsibility, but she does think that the correct personal responsibility is to wear a mask. Unlike, you know, the South Dakota governor neighbor to our west. Yeah. yeah. Remember, Jim. yes, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to add that it, this doesn't really add to the discussion other than to maybe give everybody a laugh. When you said the um, the taking the tape measure thing out, I, I, I remembered um, South Park and for anybody who's familiar with that show, Grateful What's Coming. The pandemic special. They, yeah, their <laughs> pandemic special. And one of the characters was walking around with a six foot long stick to make sure everybody <laughs> st- stayed at least six feet away from it. It was absolutely hilarious. It made yep. me think of that when you said the tape measure thing. I'd, I'd love to see that. Just people walking around with six feet uh, sticks and tape measures, keeping everybody at a safe distance. Remember uh, eight months ago when we joked about wearing masks while recording on Iowa politics? <laughs> For some reason, it doesn't seem so funny now. Uh, Brett, you did sort of a, a man on the street interview to get some people's reactions to the governor's uh, mask proclamation. Um, what, what did they have to say about it? Yeah, I wanted just to go back quickly to a couple of strands that were just talked about. Um, for, for myself, as I've been writing these stories, I've been typing it as a partial mass mandate. Um, and I wanted to share, as we talked about tape measures and, and stopwatches, I wanted to uh, say that we might get some chastisement because this came up during the Tuesday um, Woodbury County Supervisors meeting so that you know, it went into effect at 12.01 a.m. on Tuesday. And at the end of the supervisors meeting, they just out of where they can talk about anything, they brought up, uh, they started talking to the sheriff's officers. Um, like, is there enforcement and like what would be fines for people that aren't, you know, aren't wearing masks as part of the new proclamation? So they had a discussion on that. And basically the, the uh, uh, one of the upshots was that um, the proclamation says that all peace officers in Iowa are supposed to be helping enforce this, but it's a misdemeanor and there are no fines that are associated with it. So it's on the kind of still hands off. And then at that point, um, one of the county supervisors, whose name is Rocky DeWitt, made a joke about tape measures and um, stopwatches and then was quickly <laughs> shut down by the, and they, I guess, I don't know if this is the voice of reason or the adult in the room or whatever to our kind of joking that we just did here a few minutes ago, but that said, well, people are, people are dying and it's not funny to, to, to laugh about that. Mm. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, back to, to where, uh, um, the person on the street, it, it was interesting to get out and talk. And, and just to be clear, um, James, mine, I talked to these people last Friday. Um, this was after she had done the, I guess, parsed some, some changes a week ago, Tuesday. And then before the, this Tuesday when that was it, I was talking to people in between those two elements um, that she had done, but it was good to, I always like to hear people out and it was good to hear people talk about mass in person rather than a lot of it. What's been coming at me is through my Facebook or Twitter feed, you know, people's observations on this. So um, it was, you know, the, it was the range of spectrum that you would expect. Um, there was people who um, were still question, questioning whether masks work. Um, I guess they don't, haven't heard anything from the, what the CDC says or health professionals doesn't, hasn't you know, trickled all the way into their brain yet or something. But, um, you know, they, at that point where I was phrasing it, and this is somewhat interesting was, did, did you want, basically the questions I asked was, would, would you support 
um, for South Dakota, as we talked about, for Nebraska and for Iowa, um, all three states that we cover here, there's no mass mandate. Do you support a mass mandate? And if Biden were to put one, would you support a federal mandate? So that was the questions that I posed. And again, the, the people that would speak in, on behalf of, yes, I want a mass mandate. And there was a few that would actually want the federal mass mandate, that they were in support of that. They framed it in the terms of, you know, the, the greater good of the community and the health of the community. And, and then you still had people who weren't so sure. And they, you know, for what Reynolds came out with on Tuesday, there was a guy who kind of was, you know, in her camp. Well, it kind of depends if you're only going to be around someone for so long, you know, or if you're going to be apart from them, then, you know, maybe we don't need a full mass mandate. So, you know, I guess that person um, was kind of prophetic and would have liked what, what Reynolds came with out on Tuesday. Yeah, people are really all over the place on this, and, and uh, I guess it's one of those cases of where you can uh, sort of find something to support every position. So sure. uh, I'm, I'm not sure that we'll ever reach a consensus on this. Uh, but Todd, uh, you've been uh, calling for a mask mandate for, for months, so you must be ecstatic about this latest proclamation. Oh, I, I don't know if ecstatic would <laughs> be the correct word to describe anything going on in the current situation. Uh, but I understand where Brett's coming from. With I, I Every time I say stuff, something about this stuff, I expect chastisement for sure. Uh, so, you know, she does have this partial mandate. I, her, her credibility is sort of undermined by, you know, how she spent much of October and the photos are out there to prove it, that she was campaigning and, and not always wearing a mask and at, at events where lots of people were not wearing masks and all that time, the numbers were getting bad and she wasn't having briefings really. I guess she was doing some interviews with radio stations or local newspapers. I'm not sure who exactly, but uh, now we get into November, the election's over the numbers are, are even worse. It's it's out of control, and she's decided to do some mask rules. And I think the consensus, on uh, you know, on the on the side of the spectrum that's wanted more state action or just even a signal that the state is taking this seriously, it's it's too little, too late. And then we're hearing now from some folks on the on the Republican side, on the conservative side of the spectrum, that are talking about that the governor has overstepped and is infringing on their constitutional right to uh, spread COVID. So it's, you know, so yeah, the, you know, the, the idea that she can't win is sort of, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of where she's at. And, and really, you know, all of the months that we've spent while the virus, while, you know, she was downplaying the virus and asking us to live with it and saying that she was using targeted, uh, public health measures rather than broad uh, measures. Uh, it's just, you know, this has only gotten worse. And I think it's, I, I, I mean, I agree with the critics that this, this, this may be helpful a small amount, but I mean, this thing is out of control. And I, I, I think she's, she's late and, and could have gone further. Todd, do you think that the governor might, uh, you know, hindsight being 2020, might wish she had done this, you know, six, eight months ago, um, because it's become sort of a no-win proposition for her. Her 
her base, her political supporters oppose what she's doing now. And, and at least on social media say they're, they're not going to follow the mandate and her political opponents give her no props, no credit for this latest, uh, mask light mandate. Um, I mean, it just seems like she's put herself in a no win situation, uh, where she can't, uh, I mean, nobody really is supporting what she's doing. The people who don't like masks don't support it. The people who do like masks don't support her. So, I mean, this just seems from a political standpoint, a, a no-win situation, doesn't it? Well, and she, she bought into the, the idea that was sort of, you know, peddled by the, the Trump administration early on, that, or at least in April and May, that we need to get the country open again to buoy the economy and we need to get the kids back in school and all of these things because, you know, we, we can't let the cure be worse than the disease is sort of the battle cry of a lot of folks that are critical of public health measures. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks who know a lot about infectious diseases and the economy and all of these subjects said, your economy is not going to fully recover until you control the virus. And so, you know, what we're seeing is that we, we allowed businesses to be open for all this time, but businesses are still closing, restaurants are closing, uh, because even though they're open, people still don't have the confidence in, in the safety of going out and, and, you know, going out to eat, or at least a lot of people aren't confident. So business, business therefore suffered. We're going to see a Christmas shopping season now that's going to be in the middle of this huge wave of, of cases and hospitalizations and deaths. And I, I can't believe that's going to be good for the the brick and mortar businesses and in, in, you know, in, in, in Cedar Rapids and in any retail center in the state. So there were lots of people saying you got to control the virus before you can help business and, and help the economy and make sure that the schools are safe and that people can celebrate the holidays and go to college football games. But she insisted on opening fast and telling people to live with it and downplaying the need for a large scale response. And now here we are in the middle of a crisis and uh, her past performance and, and her credibility on this are just, are, are not, she are just, you know, she's, she's not in a place where she can credibly uh, do this without, I mean, with getting support from the people that have calling for her to do it. And also, you know, the side of the political, her side of the political spectrum that she's been, you know, telling all along, well, yeah, just live your life, do what you want. They, they're not going to go along with her now either. In a way, it seems like this is just human nature. Um, you know, you can tell me what to do, but I don't have to do it. And, and you know, we've seen this with seatbelts, texting and driving, safe sex, eating too much red meat, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, we, should, we should uh, be able to just, you know, do the right thing. But um, I get a lot of emails with, of, you know, from people that are sending me all of these studies that they've found that claim masks don't work. There's a Dutch study I've gotten 20 times. And usually my recommendation to them is to print the study out, fold it up and make it into a mask. <laughs> uh, earlier this week, the Interfaith Alliance called for a mask mandate because Governor Kim Reynolds uh, asking Iowans to do the right thing wasn't working. Uh, what struck me is um, what does it say about our faith leaders that they can't get the faithful to do the right thing? I mean, that, that just 
wait a minute. Mm. Aren't, aren't you the folks that are supposed to be uh, guiding us and getting us to do the right thing? But uh, um, I guess we, we're not paying attention. Masks hide, um, masks hide the face of God is what I was told in one uh, particularly whoa. interesting oh. email. Yeah. Oh. Well, and some of that, that's a small group of pastors. I think it was four. I think, I think some of them or one of them was, I mean, they talk about rights, but you know, it's, they, they work to get judges, you know, the justices kicked off the bench in 2010 for recognizing marriage equality. And right. I think they've tried to, to uh, stir up some, some, you know, opposition to transgender rights. So yeah, rights for us and other people, eh, not so much. <laughs> Moving along here, um, and speaking of people, getting people to do the right thing, coming off a wildly successful election in which Republican candidates carried four or five federal races here in Iowa and expanded their majority in the state legislature, Republican Party of Iowa Chairman Jeff Kaufman has announced he will stay on for another term. His counterpart, State Representative Mark Smith, not unexpectedly announced that he will step down as Iowa Democratic Party Chairman in January. Uh, he was brought on after Troy Price resigned in the wake of the February caucus debacle. Um, in announcing his decision, Smith said he believes the values of the Democratic Party are the values of Iowans. But it's also clear that our party must rebuild, retool, and re-energize moving forward. Um, if you remember, after the 2014 and 2016 elections, we were writing obituaries for the Iowa Democratic Party. This summer, uh, we thought the party was on the rebound. Aaron, um, what is rebuild, retool, and re-energize going to look like? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a question that the Democrats, Iowa Democrats, are asking themselves right now. Um, you know, beyond the state party chair, I, I think the more important um, question is about the kind of candidates and campaigns that they run. Um, and, and not to say that state party chair position is not important because it obviously is, but um, if, if they're going to have um, success in future elections, I think they need to figure out if they're running the right kind of candidates and if those candidates are running up with the right kind of um uh, messages. Uh, so, so I think that's where the the most soul searching needs to uh, be taking place. And and I and I, I don't think I'm saying anything that any Iowa Democrats would would disagree with. Brett, um, there've been a lot of names mentioned for who might be the next party chair, and one of the names being thrown around is JD Scholten. Uh, he had a post earlier this week uh, at Iowa Starting Line. Um, on Democrats needing to do year-round organizing. And I just wonder, do you think this was the start of his uh, campaign for chairman? Yeah, I wish I had a, a direct answer um, where, like, I, I knew, you know, could talk to him directly. And, and I, I am remiss for not – I spoke to him on election night and said, you know, we'll, we'll catch up after the election. And now we're starting to work from home here. And um, – so I haven't been able to catch up with him in person, which doesn't mean I certainly couldn't phone him to find out. But I don't, I don't have a strong feel for that. Um, I know, I mean, absolutely. He, the way he ran his campaign um, the second time here um, when he lost to Randy Feenstra and I was fourth, um, that was a full-on, almost a two-year, um, you know, the full two-year cycle he was out running and he was out hitting, you know, all these, all these towns in the fourth district. And, 
And, you know, it, it didn't accrue to his benefit, obviously, this time because of, of you know, how the election went. But, um, you know, he's a big believer in that in that element. And they, there's probably a, a good lesson that could be learned. And we've talked about this before, of how um, so much of Democratic um, campaigning in for these statewide races or these congressional races is it's geared to the cities and the, the you know, smaller rural towns are are kind of left wanting and, you know, don't see a lot of candidates coming through. I, I don't know. I, I know there's a lot of people that w- would want him to run for, you know, perhaps governor um, in 2022 or perhaps for the U.S. Senate that we mentioned with Chuck Grassley coming up. Um, I, I think he really likes campaigning and, and um, you know, this, this is just, you know, just my thoughts. He likes campaigning. He likes connecting with Iowans. And I, I feel like he would be maybe just – more versed to to be a, a candidate next time than as, as opposed to chairman, like overseeing, you know, the entire, the whole team, so to speak, for the state. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, a, lot, a lot of other names, of course, being thrown around. Amber Gustafson from Ankeny, Abby Finkenauer, uh, Jody Clements from Cedar County, and Kurt Meyer up in North Iowa, Deirdre DeGier, Jackie Norris, Ras Smith. A- any other names people are hearing or people they want to nominate uh, for chairman? Um, the only other one I'll toss in there, and, and I'll, I'll preclude this by saying all of these names, what's it going to be interesting about the next um, a few months um, into a year for Democrats is we've got now got this position open and we've got two huge statewide races coming up. So it's going to be interesting to see who wants to run for what, who wants to run for state party chair, who wants to run for the U.S. Senate race, and who wants to run for governor. Um, and so any of these names we talk, toss about uh, could go in any of those three directions, maybe. Um, the one I'll add to the list is Janet Peterson, who just stepped down as um, leader of the Senate Democrats, but in, in doing so kind of gave a pretty clear indication that her um, you know, political career is not over and, and kind of gave the sense that she wants to do something uh else continue to stay active in the party. So whether that's running for Congress in the third district or, or, or maybe she's interested in a position like the state party chairman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She did sort of uh, indicate that there was something else out there on the horizon for her. Out on our horizon, of course, is uh, Thanksgiving and uh, in um, honor of Thanksgiving, we won't be recording on Iowa politics next Friday. That will give you more time for your black Friday shopping or football, or whatever floats your gravy boat. Um, and however you like your turkey, roasted, deep fried, smoked, instapotted, spatchcocked, and grilled, or tofu, uh, here's wishing you a happy Thanksgiving. And because it's 2020, I'll make mine wild turkey. <laughs> That's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it was worth your time. If you liked it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. Send fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. And you can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Board Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Lojo Russo will take us out. And if you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Brett, Amy, Tom, Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well.